In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Proverbs 14 is going to be our first scripture tonight as we're looking at, we're looking again at, at, at types of, of language. And so we're going to emphasize four types of language that, um, that makes great use of the figurative. So we left off with figurative language. And so let's look at, um, quickly, uh, Proverbs 14. So we're going to look at poetry. Poetry is, um, you know, the, the books of the Bible that we really, everyone kind of knows. Job and, and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, and Song of Solomon, uh, great books of poetry, and uh, I think we all gain, uh, glean a lot from those books. Proverbs has, the, the, it's a book that ha- makes these profound statements. Um, <clears throat> they're short, but they're statements of truth. And when you the first nine chapters uh, uh, of Proverbs kind of has a flow to it, but then when you get into chapter 10 and following, it's it's a book that, that carries, at that point, statements of, uh, of uh, you know, comparative statements, right? This or that. And so, Proverbs 14 and verse 12, we'll, we'll start there. There's a way which seems right to a man, by the end thereof the ways of death. So, truth about life is that we always make plans and we have ideas, and it may seem right, but it doesn't mean it's always going to be right. And sometimes when we make those plans, uh, they certainly do end up in a, in a very bad uh, uh, light without Jesus, right? And so, very, very important. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm just trusting in my heart, right? Look at Proverbs 28 and verse 26. So, here's another profound, short statement that challenges maybe some of these thoughts. Um, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. Um, our hearts can be misleading because of emotion, right? Sometimes I become so emotional and I make a decision based on my emotion instead of my intellect or my emotion uh, instead of, um, um, you know, the logical. So as you think about a lot of violence that happens, it's the emotion, right? And that emotion gets us into a lot of trouble. So listening or trusting in our own heart maybe isn't, uh, the, the, the greatest idea based on the Bible, but rather thinking about intellect and what does God say. That's always the right way to approach life. The last proverb I want to look at is Proverbs 31 and verse 10. Um, my wife made me put this one. No, just kidding. Proverbs 21 and verse 10. Uh, 31 10 says, An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. And so how, how true uh, that is. So, the truth that the, the book of Proverbs gives us is, is valuable, um, and if we'll listen to it, we'll heed it, uh, we receive tremendous blessings from the wisdom that God gives to us through that, uh, through poetry. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I want to leave poetry, and I want to jump down to um, prophecy. Prophecy is, I mean, I, I don't know if we, I can extra, uh, stress how important prophecy really is, um, it, especially in today's in today's world, when you're talking to people and they and they say things, and I, I hear this as a minister, I hear this so often. Well, you know, so so we're studying the Bible, and 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 they read something they don't like, and they say, well, you know, I don't know if the Bible is really from God anyway, and you know, it has so many errors in it, and. And then when you ask them, I, I mentioned this to you before, 
when you ask them to just, you know, maybe give you a verse that is an error, uh, I like to sit down, I like to study it with you, I like to study it for myself, just so that I can grow and make sure I'm not misleading you in any way, or even have been misled. They, they never have a verse, they never have a clue, they never have an understanding, they never, they never have an idea. They just heard somewhere that the Bible has mistakes in it, and yet no one can ever show you, uh, which, is, uh, which is interesting. So one of the greatest uh, thoughts, if you will, or, or, or types of, of language that you can use that are in the Bible, prophecy is great, because prophecy stretches it, it deals with um, the past, the present. It deals with the future. And, and I, I want to I spend just a little bit of time on prophecy so you can see how valuable it really is in Bible studies with people that may say or have doubt in the Word of God or may say that the Bible does have some sort of error within it. So I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 because the question that has to come up is, you know, what about today? Do we have prophets today who are prophesying of the future. Remember years ago when um, Nostradamus, I think it was, the Twin Towers and Nostradamus, right? And they made this huge thing about it. And it was so well believed um, that Nostradamus prophesied the Twin Towers, you know, the planes that crashed through the Twin Towers and blah, 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 and all these things. It was nowhere, it was, you know, it wasn't true. It wasn't even near uh, the truth. Um, but the world went crazy over it. I mean, it was so well spoken of and passed on to this person and that person and so if you think about it then we say well wait a minute well maybe in our bible studies we could show people the prophecy and the fulfillment of the prophecies in in the scriptures and in secularism we could show them through secular literature that these prophecies that were mentioned 500 to a thousand plus years earlier than they're supposed to have i mean as far as the the actual occurrence of that particular prophetic message, maybe the world will go crazy over the Bible again. But we have to know one thing for sure. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 20, the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously, falsely, in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he shall speak, in the name of other gods, the prophet shall die. And you may say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has spoke has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the lord if the thing does not come true or come true or come about that is a thing which the lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously you shall not be afraid of him so god says if he speaks and it doesn't come about if it doesn't come true don't believe him right so that makes it kind of simple, doesn't it? Makes it really simple when you think about it. When, when people come around and they're knocking on your door and they start speaking a prophecy and prophetic things, or when you open up a book and it speaks of prophetic events and it doesn't come true, you can know for sure, for certain, that that book is not from God. So when you think about prophecy then, God says, I'm going to look at Isaiah 41. God says something really amazing about prophecy, which we already know to be true because we're God's people. But this is a bold statement. He's the only one who knows the future. <laughs> kind of simplifies things, right? Verse 21. Isaiah 41, verse 21. Speaking of, so God here is talking to the idol, 
through, through Isaiah to the people of Israel about idolatry. Verse 21. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forward your strong arguments. The king of Jacob says, Let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. As for the former events, declares what they, what they were, that we may consider them and know their outcome or announce to us what is coming. Declare the thing that are going, the things that are going to come afterward, that we may know that you are God's indeed do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us in fear together. Alright, so can they tell, can an idol God in these days, today, tell the future? No. Can any man tell the future? Absolutely not. And so since no man can tell the future, only God knows the future, then anything that comes from the mouth of an individual or from a book or the pages of a book, if it's not true, it didn't come from God. Um, Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8. God says, by way of inspiration, Remember this. And be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all of my good pleasure. So God says, I'm the only one who can do this. So it, it, if you will, it, um, it, it concludes in our minds that, that when God tells a prophecy and you read the Bible and you find in the Bible that there are like 1800 plus prophecies in the Bible that all came true. There's only one left. And that's the end of the world. Right? There's only one of them left. The rest of them all come true. That tells me automatically that I can trust God's word. 100%. And you can go and, and look at um, historical accounts. You know, if someone says, well, here's a prophecy in the Old Testament that refers to this particular event or activity. Did it come true? And you look and you find historically it came true. Like when God, for example, said that um, Assyria would, would become a great power and they would come down and take the northern kingdom into captivity. And it happened, just like God said it would. And then God said the book of Daniel. He says, oh, and by the way, Babylon the Great is a great king, no, no doubt, a great kingdom given the power by God, but Babylon will fall. And then the next kingdom, and he tells you, the next kingdom will be the Medes and the Persians, right? Babylon to the Medes, to the Persians, to the Greeks. You know, God pronounced that over, and he pronounced it accurately all the way through. He even told how many years Israel, Judah would be in captivity for 70 uh, five years. He told it all to a T. He mentioned names of people. Cyrus. Cyrus is going to be the king of the Medo-Persians and he's going to send the Jews back from the Babylonian captivity back home to Jerusalem and all of it came true. And not only did God prophesy that he would send them, God prophesied that he would pay for it. Cyrus would pay for it. And he did exactly what God said. And you just continue to read over and over and then he talked about Rome. And he said, oh, by the way, after the Greeks they're going to break up into four kingdoms, right? 
and then, then the, and then two are going to be really powerful, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And you go back and you read history and you go, wow, there were the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And they would wage war against each other and Antiochus Epiphanes. And he gives all these, these, you know, these, these events and these activities that are going to happen and it all comes true. And then he says the, the Romans are going to come and the Romans are going to be uh, powerful. And he speaks of the Romans in such a way that they are very wicked though. Very wicked. Astonishingly wicked. And guess what? They were. They were just some pretty interesting people. And they would reign, they would rule. But out of, out of that, out of all these kingdoms, is going to come a kingdom that would destroy all of them. Right? And that would be the church. And here it is, right? That would rule and that would reign. And it's still here today. And he said in Daniel 2.44 and in Micah 4 and in Matthew 16 that the gates of Hades should not prevail against it. Nothing can destroy it. And guess what? 2,000 years later almost, guess what's still here? <laughs> the church. So you know, God has done this and, and shown us this over and over and over again. And the messianic prophecies are, are just incredible, right? I, I want to talk about those for, for just a moment. But uh, there are 1,239 Old Testament prophecies, g- generic prophecies referring to different things. And then there are about 570 plus 578 or so prophecies in the New Testament uh, that refer to things, events that have, uh, have occurred. So when we think about prophecy and we consider all the scriptures that God gave, when we think about everything that the law and God said, everything that would happen, that it came true, it gives us encouragement in our faith, right? It gives us faith to know that God said things like, I'll take care of you. I love you. I'm going to strengthen you. It's all the blessings that we've received from the Lord. I want to go back to Deuteronomy. I want to visit that one more time. Chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I don't know about you, but it really encourages me when I think about the prophecy of the Scripture. And I want to show you just, I think, um, I want to show you like two, just two prophecies, maybe three in the Old Testament that we see the fulfillment in Christ. And then I want to talk about what that really means, okay? Uh, so Deuteronomy 18, in verse 18, Moses makes this statement thousands of years before Jesus Christ. And he says, And I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen, verse, oh, I'm sorry, verse 18, like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him, and it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So this prophet is going to come and he'll be like your countrymen. Now, um, I've done studies on this and I can show you about 25 or 29 actual events in the life of Moses that are similar to the life of Jesus. To show you that when, when we go over to the book of Acts, chapter 3, and we read the, the sermon that Peter preaches, he tells us who this prophet is that Moses uh, spoke of. Acts chapter 3, in verse, we'll begin at verse 18. But there are about 29 ways you can prove it's talking about Jesus. And I've had many people say to me that this individual that this book, that the prophecy speaks of, is this man or that man or this 
or that, and yet there's no, there's no connection. Right? But there are like 29 connections uh, in the Bible with Jesus and, and Moses. But I want to just grab Acts chapter 3 for just a moment. And verse, uh, we'll begin in verse 18. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So the first thing we want to realize is, all the prophets that spoke of Jesus who would come, all of those prophecies came true, right? In Jesus Christ. All the things that God said and God promised. Verse 19 says, Repent therefore and return, that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him, you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And so, it's speaking of Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. Verse 23, And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And so, if you read all of Peter's uh, second sermon, which begins about verse 11, all the way through the end of the chapter, you'll see that the context speaks only of Jesus Christ and no one else. Okay? But then when Peter continues in this sermon, he transfers from, just to give you that real assurance that it's Jesus, not only does he tell you it's Jesus, but then he gives you that real assurance by going the next step down uh, in verse 23 and following. And I want to come right back to that, but what I'm going to grab, let me just say what I'm going to grab out of this. I'm going to grab the seed promise. Okay, that's really important. Remember in the beginning, so we're going to go back to Genesis 22 uh, in, our, in our reading tonight. Remember the seed promise, right? The seed promise began in Genesis chapter 1. God said, in fact, in fact about verse 14, he made this promise that every seed would come after its own kind. And uh, he talks about that, and that's in the creation. You continue reading, and you get to chapter 3 after sin, and then God starts talking about this, this seed promise, this, that you know, between Jesus Christ and, and the woman, not the man, but the woman alone, which that in itself, it doesn't make any sense. How in the world can you have a, a seed promise where uh, one seed will produce another if you have, uh, the, the, you know, you're, you're short, if you will, on what's necessary to procreate, right? You're short. It's just one woman. You need a man involved in this. But God makes this amazing seed promise, and this seed promise goes through our history all the way ending with Jesus Christ or culminating in Jesus Christ. Genesis 22, beginning at verse 15. God speaking to Abraham about this seed promise. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Now notice what God says, by myself, which means there's nothing that man can do to stop it. Right? 
So he makes his seed promise is going to go from people, from one person to the next, to produce for us the Christ. And there'd be nothing, absolutely nothing, and no way that man could stop the production, if you will, or presentation of this seed that would come forth, the seed being whom? Jesus. Well, we'll get that in a moment. Look at the next verse. Um, Verse 18. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now notice it doesn't say all the Jews. No, he's talking about the whole world will be blessed through Jesus, right? The seed promise would come through. People ask often, why does the Bible, there's so many people um, unnamed in the Bible, there's so many that are named, but there are so many people in the Bible why doesn't the Bible talk about all these, of these other people? The Bible has one specific thread that runs through it that's really important. And that's God's scheme of redemption. Right? God's scheme of redemption found in Genesis flows all the way into the New Testament. That shows us what happened. That mankind was alive in the Garden of Eden. But then when sin was found in Eve and Adam, God brought forth a promise. And this promise would bring forth the Christ who would save all of humanity uh, from their their sins. And that would be uh, through the blood of the Lamb. And so this scheme of redemption, when I say all the people, God's all of God's people that surrender to Him, obviously, this seed promise could not be stopped, altered, destroyed in any way, shape, or form. It was an absolute impossibility. Because God said, I, I swear this by myself. I don't need anyone else to make this happen. This is going to happen according to my will. So the promise starts in Genesis once mankind has sinned. And now let's jump all the way over to Acts chapter 3 again. I'm going to go finish that now, the sermon that Peter was preaching. In Acts 3, I want to pick up in verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him, You shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So now he's speaking specifically to the Jews, but God would bless all of humanity through this seed. That seed in Acts 22 is Jesus. But let's get it even further. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 3. Let's get it a little bit, a little bit further here. Galatians 3 and verse 16. 16 says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed that is Christ. So, That in itself is absolutely amazing that he told Abraham this long, 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 many years ago. A long time ago. Thousands of years ago. I'm going to bring the Christ. 
And the Christ is going to produce, if you will, the blessings for the world. And no one could stop it. And it came to pass. That in itself is an amazing prophetic message that comes to the world for redemption. And the blessing that God has promised to Abraham was not just to the Jews. But let's go back to verse um, 13 and let's see where that blessing comes to. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. So here, God says, this blessing doesn't just come to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, right? The whole world, many nations, over and over again, multiples of peoples, right? It goes to everyone, this blessing, this promise of redemption, this opportunity for salvation, this gift of God, this prophecy, this prophetic message has come true. God has fixed what was broken, right? The sins of the world that has destroyed so many uh, can be removed by uh, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and none other. So the prophecy is powerful. You also have, speaking of prophecy... Um, in the Old Testament, there are some uh, dual prophecies that have, you know, a prophecy that has uh, a double connotation uh, to it. Uh, you can go and you'll study some of those. But I want you to think for just a moment about those prophecies, 1,800 plus prophecies that all came true. Only one, only one left, right? And they all came true. And when someone says, well, you know, Twin Towers, Nostradamus, and though it was so ambiguous in its teaching and, and proven later to be false, but how the world was turned upside down with that. I wonder if you chose just a few of these prophecies and you said, let's sit down, let's talk about them. I wonder if the world would get excited about the Christ uh, who comes forth. They, they did a, a study and they were trying to figure out um, a number. And the number is 10 to the 17th power, 10 with 17 zeros behind him of the opportunity or, or possibility that eight of the major prophecies would come true. Just eight of the major. And uh, they basically gave some analogies of... Uh, and one of the analogies that I remember, that's easiest to remember for me, I guess, uh, would be taking um, silver coins, 10 with 17, okay, and you spread them all over like a state, like the state of Texas or Alaska, spread them out and mark one. Right, make it very obvious, mark that one, and then blindfold an individual and have them, you know, fly in a helicopter or some kind of way, travel to a specific location of their choice, drop them off right there, have them at that point reach down and grab a coin. Uh, them grabbing that one coin, the probability of them getting that one coin is the same of what we're speaking of with Jesus Christ of eight of these major prophecies coming true. So how is it possible for eight or even one of this of these messianic prophecies to come true? God is the only explanation, right? Is the only answer. So it's kind of interesting how they did the, a mathematical equation to uh, discover that uh, that thought. 
Okay, so prophecy. Let's think about this now. Uh, let's think about the accuracy of the predictions. And that's also just amazing. The accuracy of the predictions about other people, not just the, not just the Jews, but just other people in general and what actually happened and how God moved all the pieces to the puzzle to bring us to uh, the moment of, of Christ. So, number one, he was born to a specific family. And then he was uh, to be born in a specific city of which his parents weren't even, they didn't even live in that city. They lived 70 miles or so, even a little bit more, north in Nazareth. And so how do you get the people who live in Nazareth to, in the eighth month of the wife's pregnancy, Mary, how do you get them to come up with a great idea and say, let's go 70 miles south, knowing you can have the baby at any point, traveling on a donkey all the way down there just, well, because of Augustus Caesar, who uh, has um, the great idea, we're going to have a census. <laughs> so he has this census, and everyone has to go back and register in their original city for which they were born, or, or if you will, their family. And, well, lo and behold, based on the prophecy, uh, certainly they're of the tribe of, of Judah, if you will. And uh, here they go. They go to David's, David's place, the household of David. And they travel all the way, all of those miles, so that Jesus would be born in ex- the exact spot, location, Bethlehem, uh, Judea, that the Bible said he'd be born. So think about the whole world at that time. The whole world, as Rome was in power, uh, the whole world had to respond to the command of God to make sure Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Wow, right? That's amazing. That's incredible. That wasn't a fluke. There were too many pieces of the puzzle that had to be um, moved in order for this to happen in this way. The world power, Rome, as prophesied by Daniel, they were the ones in power. Uh, and so uh, here God is working over and over and over again. Then they would birth this child in Bethlehem of Judea. And then, you know, Rachel's crying for her children. And, you know, Herod kills all the babies. Can't find Jesus. Jesus goes down to Egypt. We have to fly to Egypt. And, and then you, you come back. But, but he is going to be killed, isn't he? The Bible prophesied it. And it said that Jesus Christ would be executed for uh, the, the saving of the world, if you will, right? We find that in Isaiah 53 and other places in the Old, Old Testament. But, but it doesn't just say he's going to die. It specifically prophesies that he'll be executed, right? Hung on a tree. What? How, how does God make, make that? Why, why doesn't he? No one stabs him with a sword. No one shoots him with an arrow, right? I mean, you know, to kill him. No one cuts his head off. They don't burn him at the stake. They, they, they execute him exactly the way the Bible said it would happen with Jesus Christ. And then, then to arrange the executioners, it's one of those things where you go, that's too much evidence, right? You arrange the executioners so they're at his feet casting lots for his clothing. Exactly what's prophesied in Psalm 22, right? They're casting lots from his clothing and, and making fun of him. And then be, before all that happened, he was betrayed. Just like the text said, that he would be betrayed and by a, by a what? By a kiss. And it said that. It told us that from the Old Testament. And no one, no one figured it out. Here you have, and it's the people that are the religious people, 
right? The, 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 um, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Herodians, uh, and, and so the Essenes and all the, the whole group, right? The Sanhedrin, the ones who should know the Bible, and they start hearing, wait, 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 I've heard that somewhere. We, we need to think about what we're doing here, because I've heard that some, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? Because you know they knew Isaiah 53, right? In fact, Jesus is born at a time, so 250 BC, uh, the, the, the Greek Empire is in power, and you know, um, uh, the, the great library is established. And, and the Bible is translated from Hebrew into Greek, the common language of the time. And now, 4 BC, everyone's expecting the Messiah, right? And the religious leaders of the day didn't even figure it out. They didn't, they, you know, I heard, I've heard, we read Isaiah 53 time and time again, but we, Psalm, we read the Psalms, we read, we've, heard the prophets, we've heard the prophecy, we've told the stories over and over again, but they never figured it out. And yet when you think about what's said later, like Nicodemus, when he speaks of um, Jesus and he says, we know you're from God, because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So we know who you are, but we just don't know what to do with you, right? And then the people were more concerned, uh, John 11, about uh, saving their nation than they were about, about the crucifixion of the Christ. And so their, their hunger and their greed got into the way. And that's what blinds us, right? So their hunger for, for money and power and fame and fortune, it blinded them. So they weren't even listening to the very scriptures. They were teaching the people. And we know they were teaching truths. And some, they, not all truth, but they were teaching truth because Jesus said, do what they tell you, but don't do what they do, right? So they were teaching some truth, although they had some, some teachings in there that weren't uh, exactly what God was saying to do. All of these things come to pass, and they don't even get it. And then he's on the cross. And there's this customary thing that happens. If you don't die fast enough, or the emperor decides, hey, you know what? Let's show these guys a little mercy, or the governor. They break the soldier's legs. And they customarily go up. And they break the legs of the one. And they break the legs of the other. But they don't break the legs of Jesus. Because he's already dead. And remember, not a bone should be broken. Right? All these prophetic messages that are, and the spear pierces side, now comes blood and water. And there's just so much to this. And, and they still, still don't figure it out. And then there's one more thing. Maybe there's two. One is, I'm going to get up. Right? Oh, you're going to kill me. See, my father, we, it's already, it was all planned. But in three days, remember Jonah? I know you remember Jonah. He told the story about Jonah. I'm going to get up. You're going to come to the grave, to the tomb. It's going to be empty. And you would have thought the soldiers, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when the soldiers came to them and said, we, no, no, we were guarding this. We, 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 we know life for life. We're not, we were guarding with all, but... 
But we saw some stuff happen that will blow your mind. That was his angel that came. And then they start describing the story. And instead of describing the Pharisees saying, we really blew it. What did they do? They, uh, they paid the soldiers some money and said, go tell a lie. Go tell them that the soldiers' people came and stole away the body. Steel never surrendered to God. My point is, for these prophecies to come true, as desperately as the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, as, as desperately as the Sanhedrin wanted this, this, this Christ to not exist, had God not sworn by himself, it probably wouldn't have happened. They would have tried to stop the action of God, but it was absolutely impossible and then the, the very last thing before the end of the world is he said, I'm going to come back. And he came back and he presented himself alive. <laughs> and everyone started, and it wasn't just Jesus that came back. Remember this. I remember when, uh, at, when the, t- the veil of the temple tore and the earthquake. And then the Bible says, and many who died got up. <laughs> they came out of the tombs. And went back into the city. Now, you know, you're, you're in a city, and you know your relative is dead. You, you buried them some days ago, and, and they're, in the, they're in the ground, and, and the earthquake occurs, and they come knocking on your door if you don't suspect something is strange going on. See, the whole world was shaken up by the Christ. It's undeniable. It's not just that the... the the Jews wrote about it, but the world spoke about it, the known world at that time. And that's why the, the gospel was just set on fire, right? Colossians tells us that the message of truth was, was passed on. The gospel was spread to the whole world at that time. Everyone had a chance to hear. And we even find to this day remnants of, of people, and I hate to use the word remnant, but I don't know another word right now. To use, we get to, we get to somewhere and as, uh, as Americans and we think we're smart, right? And, um, you know, thank God we are, but, but so are the rest of the world, right? And we get there and guess what they're preaching already? Christ Jesus crucified, right? We're the evangelists. No, no. Christ has been spoken throughout the whole world and thank God for that. And, and it would not have happened had not this, this or these prophecies not come to pass just as God promised uh, they would. So, just an amazing account. You want to set the world on fire? Maybe this account will set the world on fire again because God, uh, as I like what Brother Lawrence likes to say a lot, God made the world right again, right? Through Jesus Christ. And so, as we're thinking about prophecy, um, we have amazing, we have amazing prophecies, prophetic, a prophetic message in the Word of God that is so powerful and so true and irrefutable and undeniable. And everyone you talk to, they've all heard about Jesus. They may not believe, but they heard about Him, right? Um, when we go out and we talk to people in our, in our communities and in our neighborhood, they've heard about Jesus. What are we going to do with Jesus? Right? What a great question. What are we going to do about Jesus? Another great question. And how does the message of Jesus get to the whole world? Right? It weren't for God, right? And so salvation has been, has been brought down and God's heavenly gift is before us. And the opportunity for salvation is before us 
And you know, when, when God, John chapter 1, uh, verse, I think 12 it is, God says, anyone that, that wants to surrender to him, he gives the power to surrender. So that whole, you know, the stories you hear about, well, what if you were in a helicopter and, you know, and then the helicopter crashes and p- people love to bring up things, that's, you know, scenarios that aren't even true. It's just a scenario. Has it ever happened? We don't know. It's, never, it's, just, it's just an idea. God gave people who have the desire to be saved, the right or the power to be saved because he didn't do all this for nothing. He did all this, all of this for us. And so um, if there are any tonight that want to surrender to Christ um, in the waters of baptism, that opportunity is afforded to you this evening as we have an opportunity uh, for those that are struggling in your faith and we can help you and pray with you or pray for you. There'll be a devotional soon and during that devotional, that opportunity or that uh, blessed gift will come to you. And to those who are online, uh, please contact us. Uh, our information will be on the screen. Of course, most of you know what our information is. So, thank you tonight. We're going to end right there. Um, we'll come back and we'll start looking at, um, as we begin to kind of close this series out, we'll come back and we'll start looking at types and antitypes, right? T- types and antitypes uh, about Jesus. And so, I think that would be another uh, fun portion of our study. So, thank you for your time this evening. God bless each and every one of you. We are uh, dismissed for just a moment until the kids come through and we begin our, our devotional. Thank you.